With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 258. It's titled... Financialization is pushing up home prices. What is financialization? The United Nation describes the financialization of housing, and this is their quote, it's a phenomenon that occurs when housing is treated as a commodity, a vehicle for wealth and investment rather than a social good. The social good is something that benefits all of society, such as clean air, clean water. Some would argue health care is a social good. And adequate housing can be considered a social good. The United Nations produced a report under the direction of Lilani Farha. She's a UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Adequate Housing. She and Surya Deva, the chairperson of the Working Group on Business and Human Rights, sent a letter in March 2019 to a number of countries and to Blackstone Group one of the largest investors in residential real estate. When you think about writing a country, who do you send it to? But they did. They just they sent a letter to the Czech Republic, Denmark, Ireland, Spain, Sweden, the U.S., and Blackstone. Their concern was this financialization of housing. In the case of Blackstone, they were specifically concerned, quote, about the egregious business practices of giant private equity and investment firms which are scooping up low-income and affordable homes around the world, upgrading them and substantially raising rents, forcing tenants out of their own homes. In the case of the countries such as Sweden, they write, We are expressing our concern with respect to your government's practice of adopting laws and policies which treat housing as a commodity and undermine the enjoyment of housing as a right. Our chief concern lies with those laws and policies which have allowed unprecedented amounts of global capital to be invested in housing as security for financial instruments that are traded on global markets and as a means of accumulating wealth. There is a long-standing history of financialization of the housing market. This is not something recent. The financialization of the housing market has facilitated the ability of individuals to get a mortgage, to be able to borrow from a bank on a house. Traditionally, banks just held on to those mortgages. With government-sponsored enterprises such as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, as well as similar organizations around the world, that has allowed for individuals to more readily access capital to borrow to buy a house. But what they're concerned about, the United Nations and this working group, is how financialization has moved from facilitating buying homes to big institutions buying up homes and renting them as single-family residences. Mortgage-backed securities is the tool where they package up mortgages, securitize them, and these are bonds, fixed-income instruments, 
where the payments to the bondholder are dependent on the payments on the underlying mortgages. But now there are rental-backed securities, where the payments to the bondholders are dependent on the payments by renters. The fact that some of these companies that are buying up thousands and thousands of homes, these are companies that are now publicly traded. So you can invest in a stock, a company that rents homes. Invitation Homes is an example of one of these stocks. It trades on the U.S. stock market. Its ticker is INVH. It's up 37% year to date. In this episode, we're going to look at financialization of the housing market. Is this a bad thing? Invitation Homes, this unit of Blackstone, bought their first house in April 2012. They paid $100,700 at auction, and they started renting it. At the time, there was a huge glut of foreclosed homes. This particular house was in Phoenix, an area where home prices had fallen 60%, where the Wall Street Journal reports that smugglers were stashing kidnapping victims, is how they described it, in houses across the border so they didn't have to worry about neighbors. These houses were sitting empty. It was a huge crisis. Ben Bernanke, chair of the Federal Reserve, actually encouraged these initiatives such as Blackstone to buy up these houses to start renting them out. The idea was it would stabilize the housing market, and it did. And then time would pass, and these companies would move on. But they haven't. They continued to buy up houses. Invitation Homes owns 82,260 single-family rentals across 17 markets in the U.S. Their primary focus is in the western U.S., Phoenix, for example, as well as Florida. They use these rent-backed securities as a primary way of financing it, selling bonds to investors. And some of those securities have actually been guaranteed by the federal government. The United Nations says their business model, of which Blackstone is a front-runner, is becoming the industry standard. Properties that are deemed undervalued, which generally means affordable to those living there, are being purchased in mass, renovated, and then offered at a higher rental rate, pricing tenants out of their own homes and communities. Landlords have become faceless corporations wreaking havoc with tenants' rights to security and contributing to the global housing crisis. Is that what Blackstone's doing? A report by Reuters by Michelle Conlin wrote, but in interviews with scores of the company's tenants, this would be invitation homes, in neighborhoods across the U.S., the picture that emerges isn't much one of exceptional service as it is of leaky pipes, vermin, toxic mold, non-functioning appliances, and month-long waits for repairs. Obviously, Imitation Homes doesn't believe that's the case. Chief Operating Officer Charles Young, in the article, disputed tenant allegations of slumlord-like behavior. He said Imitation Homes serves hundreds of thousands of customers, and company surveys show that they are rated 4.3 stars out of 5. He said from time to time things happen, but when there's an issue, we work hard to resolve it as quickly as we can. The United Nations sent a seven-page letter to Blackstone. Blackstone's reply was four pages long. They replied within three days. They said the letter from the United Nations contained numerous false claims. 
significant factual errors and inaccurate conclusions. They said they're surprised and disappointed that the United Nations would send a communication without verifying the assertions. Blackstone's view is they have provided relief to devastated communities and given homeowners confidence that there's a floor, that there's some value in their homes, that they've spurred economic activity. Blackstone said they've invested $2 billion for renovations and improvements through Innovation Homes. That represents $22,000 per home. Invitation Homes, they say, has a 96% occupancy rate and high level of satisfaction, 4.4 out of 5 stars, the average rating, and that residents renew their leases and stay 50% longer compared to the multifamily housing industry. Now, what the United Nations describes and Blackstone remarks on has been going on a long time, housing as an asset class. When an investor, institutional, an individual, invest in rental housing, be it a multifamily building, a single-family home, you have to do maintenance. You do repairs. You upgrade it. And you raise the rent to recover the cost from investing in the house. And that can be difficult for those that can't afford the rent. We're going to look at the situation for those with very low income and their ability to access housing, that is not, at least in the U.S., because of companies like Blackstone in terms of driving the rents. And Blackstone's very clear about this. Invitation Homes represents only 0.09% of the 93 million houses in the U.S., about 0.5% of the 16 million single-family homes that are for rent in the U.S., And they say they don't have any impact on rents. That's driven by the market. That if they charged higher than market prices for rent, then they wouldn't have a 96% occupancy rate. And that is true. They're not driving higher prices for rent. But they are, as well as other institutions and individuals that want to buy single-family homes to rent out, they are driving up home prices. And we'll see how in a little bit. Institutions have not just gotten involved in buying single-family homes to rent out, but they're also getting involved in buying single-family homes to flip, to sell to somebody else. The Wall Street Journal, there was an article about Open Door, Zillow, and OfferPad, three companies that have been operating just in the Phoenix area as one of their markets, doing what's known as programmatic house flipping, using, to some extent, artificial intelligence to figure out which house to buy, how much to pay, how much to sell it for. Those three companies bought nearly 5,000 homes in the Phoenix metro area in 2018. Roughly one of every 20 homes. They're after real estate fees, the transaction fees, as well as anything they can make on reselling the property. The Wall Street Journal reports that the margins are low, so they need very high volume. So they're very much involved in that market. In addition, individuals can buy rental houses, single-family homes to rent through a company called Roofstock, one of these crowdfunding real estate platforms. They've done, Roofstock's done over a billion dollar in single-family rental transactions. You pay a fee of 0.5%. And they'll facilitate the transaction. 
You have to find a property manager for it. But if you go on Roofstock's website, there's 475 properties available. When you invest in real estate, one of the metrics that you look at is what is known as the capitalization rate, the cap rate. It's the net operating income divided by the cost or the market value. So it's a yield calculation. So by net operating income, we're talking about the rent, less taxes, insurance, maintenance, property manager. You take all that out and you divide it by the value of the property. So on Roofstock, there's some cap rates, some properties with a cap rate of 11%, two of them. One in East Chicago, you can buy the property for $45,000. Another in Gary, Indiana, you can buy the property for $56,000 and earn a yield, a cap rate of 11%. But there's also 35 properties with cap rates less than 5%, where you hardly earn anything, and others are in between. But you can buy a house through Roofstock to rent. And what that has allowed is, is someone that lives in an area of the country where home prices are very high. They could rent an apartment, but still buy a house somewhere else to rent out and potentially participate in the appreciation. Which means if you're a first-time home buyer, you're not just competing with other local buyers. You're competing across the country with other buyers that want to buy a house. LaPrell and I put a bid on a house in Idaho Falls this past weekend. LaPro has, has redone houses in the past. She, she's kind of in the mood to do another one. We were going to sell our house and move into this house and redo it. We got outbid. The house had only been on the market one day and had some serious issues. It needed some major work. Supposedly a three-bedroom house. There was two bedrooms upstairs. One really couldn't be classified as a bedroom because it was, from a fire and safety aspect, there wasn't a window. We needed to close off a stairwell, and bust a hole in the wall to put in a window. The other didn't even have a closet in it. They had somehow taken the closet out in order to expand the bathroom. The wiring needed to be updated. It still had original knob and tube wiring, which is a fire hazard. You, it's very difficult to get insurance on a house if it has knob and tube wiring. So we put a fair offer on this house. We were the first couple to look at it. Probably the only couple to look at it that day because the realtor had trouble getting the key to look at it. Yet we put in the bid and that night the listing agent said, well, that's just not going to work. There's multiple offers already. I believe those offers came from people that hadn't even looked at the house. And you're seeing that around the country, the multiple bids, often more than the asking price because of something that's happening in the market. The financialization of housing isn't driving up rents, but it's driving up home prices because investors are willing to take a lower return, a lower yield, a lower cap rate. Before we see why, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. 
That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. In 2002, at my old investment firms, we decided to start a alternatives investment group that would invest directly in individual partnerships, such as venture capital, leverage buyout, real estate, and timber. I was co-head of that group, and I took on the role of researching timber investing. It's something we hadn't done before. I started visiting timber investment management organizations, or TMOs, to learn about the timber asset class. This is something some universities, such as Harvard, had invested in for years, but it was not something that many institutions had done. Typically, you would buy a, a track of land and keep it for 25 to 50 years, which was not how institutions had typically invested. They wanted a fund structure, a 10 to 12-year fund, and these Timber investment management organizations started to provide those. And so we were researching them. I was trying to understand them. And something really interesting happened. As we started recommending them to clients, other institutional advisors and consultants did the same thing. And so you had a large amount of capital going in to the timber asset class. And what happens is it bid up the price of timberland. When you do an investment, there's an expected return. There's certain assumptions that are built in to these pricing models. And generally, timber have been priced to earn a 9 to 10% internal rate of return. But as more and more capital went into the asset class, those expected returns and those pricing models fell from 10 to 9 to 8 down to 6%. Irrespective of what was going on with the timber prices themselves, the timber prices were actually falling for a time. But investors were willing to pay more to invest in the timber asset class. It drove down the returns, the expected return, but it pushed up the price of timberland. The same thing is happening in the real estate market, including single-family homes. This concept of capitalization rate the yield on investment properties. 
The cap rate for the Necrif property index is at an all-time low. This is based on the four-quarter average ending March 31st, 2019. The cap rate was 4.8%. That's only 2.4% greater than the yield on the 10-year Treasury at the end of March. Back in 2003, that capitalization rate was 8% and was 4% more than the yield on 10-year Treasuries. So as more investors have wanted to own real estate, that has pushed down the capitalization rate and pushed up the price of real estate property. That NECRIF property index includes offices, retail stores, multifamily housing. It doesn't necessarily include single-family housing, but the same trend is occurring within single-family housing. As more and more investors want to own single-family housing to rent, that pushes up prices. It makes it difficult. Just like LaPerle and I saw, you have outside bidders that probably don't even live in your local community bidding on properties that they sometimes to flip, often to rent, and that's not necessarily pushing up the price of rent on these houses. The average price for rent in the U.S., the median price is about $1,480 per month. It's increased 2.5% per year for the past seven years. In the last year, it increased about 2.7%. So rents are not soaring by any means. But the price of houses has definitely gotten much higher than it was. The bottom of the housing market in the first quarter of 2012, the median home price was $149,000. Today, it's $226,800. At the peak back in January 2007, it was $200,000. Home prices have recovered. There's demand for houses, not just from home buyers that want to live in them, but from companies like Invitation Homes, individuals buying through Roofstock and other companies that want to buy these houses as, for rentals. And it doesn't necessarily drive up the price of renting a house, but it definitely drives up the price of, of homes because there's more demand for them. And the reason why rents haven't gone up is because investors are willing to take a lower yield, a lower cap rate on those properties. The financialization of housing is making it more difficult for first-time home buyers. They're having to pay more. It makes it less affordable because home prices are being pushed up. But there's another housing crisis in the U.S., and it has to do with extremely low-income and low-income individuals and families. There is a shortage of affordable rental housing for those that have lower incomes. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition reports that the U.S. has a shortage of 7 million rental homes that are affordable and available to extremely low-income renters. The U.S. has 11.2 million extremely low-income renters. That's 25% of all renter households and 9.5% of all households in the U.S., 71% of those low-income renters are paying more than half of their incomes on rent and utilities. Why is that? Why is there not enough affordable housing? Well, it's because of market forces again. The cost of development and operating of rental housing, either new housing or refurbished housing, the rents you need in order for it to be economically viable are too high. 
The Joint Center for Housing Studies measured from 2005 to 2015 the number of homes renting for more than $2,000 per month increased by 97%. Again, the median rent in the U.S. is about $1,480. There was a 97% increase for housings for that 10-year period that rented for more than $2,000 per month. But the numbers that rented for less than $800 declined by 2%. While the overall rental market from 2005 to 2015 added 6.7 million housing units, the number of units renting for less than $800 declined by more than $260,000. And in 2016, a four-person family living in poverty could only afford monthly rent of $608. They don't have enough money to pay the rent because it's just too expensive. There's an economic incentive if you own a rental or you're creating new rentals, you want to earn a reasonable return, which right now apparently is a 5% yield based on cap rates. So the cost of development means you have to charge more than $1,500 to make it viable, certainly more than what those with low income can afford. That's what market forces demand. The alternative is is slumlords, where they're not investing in the rental unit. They're not doing the maintenance. They're letting it fall apart so that it's economically viable. And oftentimes, these apartments or houses get so bad that they're not even, they're not safe to live in. What's the solution there? If the market forces are broken and are not creating sufficient housing for low income, it's not economically viable, Well, then the National Low-Income Housing Coalition points out that you need some type of public subsidies, either to subsidize the production and the operation of affordable housing, such as the Housing Trust Fund that provides block grants to states for the creation or rehabilitation of affordable homes, or you provide assistance to these households so that they can get rent subsidies to pay the market rate for homes. That's what has to happen. Yet, funding for affordable housing programs in the U.S., federal programs have declined by 9.3% from 2010 to 2017 on an inflation-adjusted basis. We're not doing enough as a country in the U.S. to help affordable housing. I thought, well, maybe that will lead to an increase in the homeless population. But that's held steady the last few years. About 550,000 individuals experience homelessness per year in the U.S. That includes 200,000 people and families. That's down 15% in 2007, which means low-income families are doubling up in order to live, to be able to afford the rent. Multiple families in the same rental unit. And I, I certainly see that where we live in Idaho. So this is a challenging problem. Financialization of housing is driving up home prices, making them less affordable for, particularly for first-time home buyers. It's not necessarily driving up rents, but rents are high for those with low income, and they're not able to afford those rents at all. And there needs to be additional either market incentives, some type of subsidy to help create more affordable housing units because that side of the market is broken. So that's what's going on with houses. That's episode 258. 
You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll just email you each week after the episode is released that week's links to articles and other materials I reference in the podcast. I also send you a weekly essay on money investing in the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.